Good morning, everybody. We nearly didn't get here. We, um, Anona and I have been married for 52, 54 years in a few days' time. I don't know what she's expecting, <laughs> but it's not another 54 years. <laughs> so uh, Anona and I have been married for 54 years, and... Um, we started a church in Cobham, Surrey, which was very different to anything going on in the country. And uh, that became Pioneer, that church. And then um, we became a movement called Pioneer. And that raised up people like Matt Redman, Noel Richards, Delirious, Jeff Lucas. They, they all grew up in Pioneer. And uh, we've just been to <coughs> the most amazing... Pioneer Leaders Conference in Manchester, which is why we're here today. And um, apart from the quality of the teaching and the worship and the presence of God, uh, what had happened was I led Pioneer, the movement, for about 25 years. And then I felt this needs something fresh and new. It wasn't me reading another book. It needs someone else. We went through a two-year process which Steve Clifford, who's one of my best friends, he runs the Evangelical Alliance. He was with me for 30 years. And I saw him yesterday and the day before. And he took us through a process. And eventually, 10 years ago, we handed over to Billy Kennedy, who didn't grow up in Pioneer. So we had to be very, very careful that this whole network didn't get dislocated because we chose the wrong person. The network has grown and grown and grown. We had about 70 people from around the world, from Australia, New Zealand, India, Africa, North America. It was absolutely quite amazing. And I didn't worship in the first session. I just sat there and looked at these 500 key leaders from the UK and around the world and thought, this is just so full of health and love and fun and respect. We weren't having to try too hard behind the microphone, if you know what I mean by that. And it was just a very, very special time. And then, uh, early in the day, one of my best friends, Paul Weston, who's got a big church, meets in a cinema in Kent, said, we're going to pray for Ness Wilson. Now, Ness Wilson is an amazing lady who's built this large church with her husband in Loughborough, full of uh, university students, quality people, now all over the nation, all over the world. And we're going to pray with her. So would you join us? Because I've stepped right out. When I handed over, I said, I don't want to be in the structures of leadership. I just want to get on with the local church and my traveling and writing. I, and other than that, I don't want to be involved with Pioneer. I don't want to have people saying, well, you know, we'd like to do this. What does Gerald think? This is not helpful. It doesn't matter what I think anymore. I'm not leading Pioneer. And um, so... Uh, then he moved on, and I said to an owner at the last session, which was yesterday afternoon, they're going to pray for Ness Wilson, and she, she's a, she is a remarkable lady, we love her, and, uh, but she's a local church lady, and, and I said, I don't know what they're going to do. And so I felt the Lord say to me, well, you're a prophet, so why don't you write down a prophecy for her, not knowing why we're praying for her? And so I wrote down a number of things, finishing with the fact that she's got uh, sons and daughters uh, all over the nation, but one day she'll have them all over the world. She will be the mother of nations in the world. 
So eventually we come to the end and uh, Billy stands up and says that I now feel I, I, I'm, I should be promoted and so I'm now heading up Pioneer International because of all the international trips and travel that's going to be needed to nurture these churches and get them into our DNA as well as scripture of course. And he said, so what's going to happen to Pioneer UK? Well, the news is that Ness Wilson is taking over in a few weeks' time. So for the, the, for the first time anywhere in our nation, a woman is leading a network of churches all over the nation. And she came and spoke. Thank you very much, Anna. She came and spoke and uh, was stunning. And then a few of us came out to pray and prophesy over her. And I said to Billy, can I go first? He said, yes. And it was just as though I'd been briefed by Billy as to what was going to happen in these moments of time. And I knew absolutely nothing. This had been written hours and hours before. And, and it finished off with, and one day you'll be uh, mother to nations, uh, individuals and nations around the world. Uh, which sort of implied that she'd eventually take over from Billy, the whole international network, which I didn't know about. I had no idea. I had no idea Billy was going to give himself to the international. So that's why we're here. And then Satnav brought us down. Thank God for Satnav. And, um, and then we, we settled in our hotel uh, about half an hour away. And um, th then when uh, uh, Mr. Cooper heard that actually we were going to be nearby, he said, well, could you come and speak on Sunday morning? I said, I'd be delighted. Uh, so we got up and the devil took over and uh, the sat-nav wouldn't start. We've actually been here for an hour in this area trying to find our way into this place and we just couldn't do it. And uh, I, here am I, the prophet, you know, I can't find a building. And... Um, it's hopeless, isn't it? And uh, uh, we see in part and prophesy in part, Paul said. So my wife said, why don't we ask somebody? Um, unfortunately, there was nobody around. It was just, it was cold, it was early, it was roads. But I pulled into a massive uh, retail park and an owner said, why don't you ask them? And so we asked them and they said, oh, you're so near. You're, it's just over there. But, but we, we couldn't take, take you there. And he said, I'll take you there. And so this guy, this big silver car, special registration plate and everything, drove us all the way here so that we could be with you. And we prayed that God would bless them as they drove away. So, Andy, thank you for hosting and welcoming us. And the worship leader's Matt, is it? Yeah. yeah. Where is he? Oh, yeah, you did a great job, Matt. And where's the drummer? Where's the drummer? Could you just stand up? I'm not going to humiliate you and make you look silly. What's your first name? Kevin, okay. Um, Kevin, when we were worshipping together, I felt God speak to me for you. And God is running after you. I mean, he's really running after you. He's not running after you for fault and failure. He's running after you because he wants an intense relationship with you. Yeah, yeah. He loves you so much. He believes in you. He believes in you more than you believe yourself. And all you have to do, knowing that he's running after you, shouting your name, wanting an intense relationship with you, which you may not feel you deserve or qualify for. We all understand that. All you have to do, as he's running behind you, and you're feeling, well, this can't be for me, because all you need to do, if this is what you want, is to turn around 
And so here I am. You can do anything you want with me. And you will go around the world, Kevin, because you turned around. Do you understand that? This is a word for everybody. I'm going to come to it at the end of my talk, but it's particularly for you. At this moment of time, in this season of your life, God never, ever gets disillusioned with you, Kevin. Because he never had any illusions when he took you on. Sort of takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Thank you very much. Please sit down. And before I just say what I want to say, which I can say in half an hour, um, Andy spoke about the privileges I've had with the royal family and Cliff Richard and Boy George and a whole lot of other people and nations and so on. Um, through a set of circumstances I won't go through now, I, I visited King Michael and Queen Anne of Romania. Queen Anne of Romania is, is cousin to our queen. Their daughter, now Crown Prince Margarita, is cousin to Charles. They're very close. And I was asked to visit them and we prayed together in very difficult circumstances. I left them two books, which was my biography and Ravi Zacharias, A Shattered Visage, The Real Face of Atheism, which completely wiped out the culture and architecture of the whole of Romania, once a very wealthy nation. And uh, eventually, three weeks later, Margarita phoned me to say, my mother needs to see you. And I said, fine, well, let me know when she's free and I'll fly over. They were exiled in Geneva. They lived on Lake Geneva. Said, no, we found out when you're free and um, uh, she's coming on Monday. And so, um, as I know and I will tell you, she was there, um, two friends, and she sat in my office, which was, uh, we lived in a big uh, glass brick building, Frank Lloyd Wright type building. Um, uh, Queen Anne and I sat under a, a, a huge 200 year old oak tree and she said, I've read your book. I didn't think she'd read my book. It was just a story. Um, but she would read Rabbi Zacharias. But she read my book. She, I've read it twice in the last three weeks. And I realized that Jesus is offering friendship to simple people like me. But I don't know how to be his friend. <laughs> Can you help me? And I briefly explained, explained the gospel, led her to Christ, and a chauffeur came and took her back to London. A few weeks later, it was the 80th birthday party of Yehudi Menuhin, whose school happens to be just where we live, and has been for three decades. And when she came out of the party at 10.30, she said to the driver, who's a friend of ours, I've been, I've been gossiping the gospel all over the royal family. The whole royal, being royal family were there. And I've told Charles, I've met a man, I've read his book, I've met his God, he's changed my life. I'm no longer bitter against the communists. I love people and I want to see my country restored. And I've told Charles, if you read the book, God could change your life too. So, you know, you, you can't make these stories up. You have no idea what next week, next month, next year is going to hold for you. And, um, and you know, as I'm going to teach at the conference with Tommy and, and it may well be that you die with certain promises unfulfilled and you think well maybe I was deceived we know what was all that about I just want to remind you of a man who was promised he'd be the father of nations and at the end I mean right at the end if you could take a picture there was him a son a staff a cave he bought to to be buried in and that was it that's all he had but just because you're dead it doesn't mean God's finished with you and he became the father of nations. And we are one of those nations in the UK. And he's our father. 
of faith. There may be many others, but God fulfilled his word. Anyway, um, that story and lots of others is in this book, Gerald Coates' Pioneer. I didn't write it. It was written by Ralph Turner. He is a brilliant writer. Most folks say to me, I couldn't put it down. I just, most, another lady wrote to me recently and said, had to go to Bath. I read one half on the way down and the other half on the way back. So that was that there. And then there's another book I've written called Sexual Healing. Uh, when we became more localized in the last few years, last five years, a whole string of guys came to me saying, I'm in real problems with pornography. I don't know who to turn to. I can't turn to my pastor or I can't turn to my worship leader. Or I can't turn to my you know, parents sort of thing. And so we wrote this book and thousands have been sold. It's spiritual, it's biblical, it's practical. And I'm gonna, I'll tell you a story about this, this, this book. And, and it, it's a, it's a life-changing book. I wrote it with Nathan Ferreira. Um, I saw Nathan on Facebook. I sent him some words of encouragement. He came back and said, can I speak to you? He then said, um, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a porn addict of four years, every single day of every week of every month, seven or eight times on a Saturday. I said, come and visit me. And he came to visit and we prayed with him and we talked with him and he and I wrote this book and he's not seen porn for the last four years. Four years. He's now married. He lives in Nashville. We were there a few weeks ago and, uh, and so on. And then th this is a book you really should get. It's an owner's life. It's called I Wish I Was. I won't tell you wh what this means, this title, but one day it was some, some, somebody said something to her and she said, I wish I was. It's like a film. Rosemary Connolly, who's a friend of ours, a very well-known Christian business lady, said, don't sell the film rights to this book. This is a film. You think, you know, when is all this going to stop? This is like unbelievable. And Anona's just an ordinary woman who grew up in a highly abusive family. And Anona was abused sexually, verbally, violently for years. Uh, he hated me when we met and we married. And, um, and this is her story and it's all good. And they're all 10 pounds. They're just whatever they are. The 10 pounds each makes life easy. And they're out there. And I hope that that'll be a blessing to you. I'd like to speak on this morning, if I had a title at all, it would be Overwhelming Grace. Every letter that Paul wrote, he begins with, the grace of God be with you. And every letter he finishes, he finishes with, the grace of God be with you. Paul was a man of the law. He knew the scriptures. And these heretics who were followers of Christ, who said he was the son of God, need to be beaten, imprisoned, and executed. And that was a trip he was on when due to the grace of God, he came, appeared to, to Paul, as we now know him, previously Saul. He was knocked off his horse. He was blinded. He was taken to the church. The church felt this is just a ruse to, to get him inside and meet all these key, key people. And then he went away and studied the scriptures for two or three years out in the desert. And he realized that Christ is in every book in the Old Testament. And that now law has given way to grace. And he never got over the grace of God. Uh, we can end up believing that we don't deserve grace. Uh, we've done too much, said too much, seen too much, not done enough. Uh, why should God be gracious to me? I'll be lucky just to get saved and get into heaven and see some of the ones I love because 
I'm not what people think I am. All of us here, including the speaker, we have a private life and a public life. And I say to young people in particular, uh, who I want to speak to at the end privately, um, we must find ways of keeping our private life as close to our public life as possible, so that we're not living in fear of being found out. That's a terrible way to live. And it doesn't just apply to, to young men, mid-teens, late 20s, late uh, mid-20s, uh, it applies to us all. And, uh, and so it's, it's a, a morning of God's grace for us all, and I hope particularly for that group of people I've just mentioned. Um, when you look into the scriptures, there, you say, you know, why, why were all these laws surrounding and uh, soaking into the Jewish community? Well, obviously, the, the, the first verse of the Bible is brilliant. It's only 10 words. In the beginning, oh, there was a beginning. God, oh, he was there. What was he doing? Creating the heavens, plural. They didn't have telescopes like we have today. But the writer was prompted to, to write about in the, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens, plural, and the earth. I've always thought this is, this is strange. Um, they now reckon, I don't know how they measure this, but they now reckon that the universe is 13.5 billion years old. And then last year they discovered that the earth is only 9 point something billion years old. And they can't work it out. But you can read about it in the first 10 words of Genesis 1. In the beginning, I heard a radio guy, a guy on a radio, an atheist say, we, we don't know how the universe was here. It's always been here, but we don't know why. And when we find out, we'll let you know. There was no beginning. That's a smack in the face to evangelicals. The writer says, in the beginning, oh, there was a beginning, God, yes, he does exist, Created the heavens, plural, galaxies, oh, and the earth, almost as an afterthought. I'm not sure what all that means. There is no scientific discovery that has ever disproved anything in the scriptures, not one. We have nothing to fear from science. The whole basis of science was built on people who were Christians and wanted to examine God's universe, people, geography space and the reason that the Jews were protected by ceremonial law ceremonies reminding them of that which had passed that which was to come health law because you could you could die just by eating pig the pig was riddled with um, disease and so they're told not to eat pig. You know, people say to me, you know, you know, you know homosexuality is fine because we, we, we were told not to eat pig, now we have bacon sandwiches, and, and then, you know, we were told you couldn't have women in leadership ministry, and now we do. And so the homosexual thing, that's just... You can't do that with the Bible. You just can't do that. It just shows utter, total ignorance. There's ceremonial law, which was to keep them apart from the other nations, because from this nation will come the Saviour, without which we're all off on our way to judgment. Health laws make sure that the Jewish race doesn't die out. And then it was given moral law. You can't change moral law. Anything to do with sex is moral. If I'm in a one-to-one -one relationship with my wife, that's morally right. If I'm having affairs outside, that's morally wrong. And we founded 
uh, an age agency, Asset Care Education Training. Uh, we were caring for more people dying of AIDS in their homes than all the pro-gay charities put together. Dr. Patrick Dixon was the genius behind that, and we worked on it together. And so Paul understands that this people must be protected from which came the Messiah, who was full of grace. And John said, we beheld his glory. We talk about glory a lot, don't we? This church talks a lot about glory. Well, let me tell you what John saw. He said, we saw his, as he walked, we saw his glory. You would have thought, as he gave out his incredible wisdom and teachings and insights, no. As he did his miracles, no. John said, as he walked, we saw his glory. And it was full of grace and truth. That's the glory of God. Doesn't have to be in a meeting. I've been in a few meetings. Where <laughs> we had a meeting at Hyde Park with 100,000 people. I thought no one on this platform was going to end up on their feet. The glory of God, the presence of God was so strong that you know, there were lots of well-known people there and, and people were, were holding each other up on the platform. A worship prayer meeting, that's all it was. 7,500,000 people. Parks Police said it was 100,000 people. So let me just read you a few words from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Ephesus was a city, Corinth was a city, a lot of other places he wrote to for cities. But Galatia was an area, it's like a county, like Yorkshire. And Paul writes in the fifth chapter, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put on a harness of slavery on you. I'm emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, what are you doing with Christ's hard-won gift of freedom? It's squandered. I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision trades away all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave of life of law. I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you're cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most contentious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more better. Faith expressed in love. You are running superbly. Why cut in on you? Deflecting you from the true course of obedience. This detour doesn't come from the only one who called you into the race in the first place. And please don't toss this off as insignificant. It only takes a minute of yeast, you know, a minute amount of yeast, you know, to permeate an entire loaf of bread. Deep down, the master has given me confidence that you will not defect, but the one who's upsetting you, whoever he is, will bear the divine judgment. As for the rumour that I continue to preach the ways of circumcision, as I did in those pre-Damascus days, that is absurd. Why would I still be persecuted then? If I were preaching that old message, no one would be offended. But if I mentioned the cross now and then, it would be so watered down it wouldn't matter the way, uh, one way or the other. Why don't these agitators, obsessive as they are with circumcision, go all the way and castrate themselves? Pretty strong language. It is absolutely clear that God has called us to a free life. Just make sure you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and so destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. 
For everything we know about God's word is summed up in one single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you'll be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? My counsel is this. Live freely, animated, motivated by God's spirit. And you won't feel the compulsion of selfishness for there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that's at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of the law-dominated existence? So... Paul suffered among the Jewish community because of his message of grace. And when we're overwhelmed by grace and aware, Kevin, that God never ever gets disillusioned with us because he never had any illusions when he took us on, it's easier to turn around and say, here I am. I need you. I want you. I can't believe you want me. And as a result of that, we ourselves become filled with grace. Um, in November of 2017, uh, we had a special meeting. And we meet in a hall, and on this occasion, it's not always packed, but on this occasion it was packed. And I, I, I walked uh, around being Mr. Friendly, because there were all sorts of people there we didn't know. And I saw this young lad, he was 17, he looked like 15, 16, and I said, what's your name? He said, Samuel. And I said, Samuel, um, how, what, where do you live? And he told me, it was like 45 minutes away. And I said, oh, how did you get here? And he said, oh, my, my parents brought me. I said, oh, where are they? He said, well, they're over there, but I can't sit with them because all the chairs are taken up. So why are you here? He said, well, I hear Ian Andrews is here and he prays for the sick and he's seen some amazing miracles. I'd like to see what he does. I said, well, you won't see anything back here, so come, we're Cafe Church, and I've got a table right at the front so I can get to the mics. Come and sit with me. And we, we had a little bit of banter and, and small talk, and we worshipped, and, and we, Ian spoke and prayed for the sick, and there were some amazing miracles. And then we chatted together. We didn't discuss anything personal or intimate or inquisitive, um, but I just felt I needed to give him his card. Now, you need to know that 17-year-old boys don't telephone 70-year-old men. That doesn't happen. Never happened to me. But every now and then, I'll give out a card. It might be to an Andy, just to say, if ever you want me, this is me, which is another way of saying, I'd like to come back. Would you, you know, give me a call? And, and so on. Uh, and, but when I'm not doing this... I don't give out a card one month to another. When I'm doing something like this, I might give out four or five, particularly if I'm somewhere for a week. So I've been at the Pioneer Leaders Conference, I had five cards, they've all gone. So I'm not coming back, that's basically it. And, um, and, uh, and so I gave it to him, and really what I was doing was, it was a gesture. If ever I can help you, this is my number, this is my email, you can find me on Facebook. Forgot all about it. Nothing significant in our conversation. Next day, email. This is Samuel. I met you. Can we talk? So we set up a phone call, and it turned out he'd been a four-year um, addict to pornography since he was 13, and now he's nearly 18. 
He was in despair. He was depressed and didn't know what to do. He did say to me, what, what, he didn't know who I was. He did say to me around the table at the end, so who are you? I said, well, I'm Gerald and I started the Pioneer Network and I'm one of the leaders of this. This is the newest church in Leatherhead, quite small at the moment. And uh, I write books. Oh, he said, what do you write about? I said, well, the last book I wrote was called Sexual Healing about Pornography. And if you come to my desk, I've got uh, a pile of cards that high and they're all guys who in the last five years have contacted me to say, please, please, can you help me? Um, nearly all of it's done on the phone. We don't meet face to face. I don't have people in my house. Um, uh, one or two exceptions, literally, an owner knows that. But normally speaking, that's how it's dealt with. And um, uh, a whole year went by. I phoned him every six to eight weeks. And we talked about a wide range of things, including pornography and stuff like this. I'm doing fine. I'm very specific. What does fine mean? And, um, if he, and, and, and that was that there. In November 2018, just a few weeks ago, he sent me the happiest text I've ever had. He said, I just want you to know I've been 100% porn-free from the day we met in the coffee table at your church one year ago this day. Isn't that incredible? So I thought, you know, this is the Holy Spirit because I'm doing a phone call. You know, if, if it could be that easy, I could do a full-time job. But um, uh, this is the Holy Spirit. It's grace. It was grace that he met me. It was grace that I advised him. Uh, simple questions. Where's your phone at night? In my room. Well, get it out and charge it up somewhere else. Where's your laptop? In my room. Get it out. Charge it up somewhere else. In my day, masturbation would, would, would just happen. But these days, without poor, masturbation hardly ever happens. That's the culture we're in now. Almost every man has seen uh, uh, pornography. I've seen pornography. The issue is, when did you last see it? How long was it? When was the time before? When was the time before? That's, that's the issue. Is, is it a part of your life? Or have you slipped up? We all slip up. We say things we shouldn't say. We have attitudes we shouldn't have. And that was Samuel. So I said to him, would you... This is a story of grace. It gives hope to people. Would you put this on tape and we'll, we'll, we'll record it and make it available to folk? He said, I would be willing. And so two weeks ago, or was it a week ago? A uh, week ago. Uh, uh, he came to my house with, with our sound guy in our church and we did a 20-minute straightforward interview about how life was, how it is, how it changed, what it can be for listeners. And if you go to pioneerengage.org.uk, say that again, pioneerengage.org.uk, you can listen to that this afternoon when you get home. And then we're going to put it on another site, which is called Sexual Healing, that's our book thing, sexualhealingbook.com. Don't forget the book, you will end up somewhere where you don't want to be. There's a song called Sexual Healing. It's all over those pages. And uh, sexualhealingbook.com. And we'll get that up in the next week. So it'll be in two places. Not just for you, but for friends who need to hear this wonderful story of God's grace. Uh, overwhelmed by grace. Uh, every letter, as I say, began with grace, finished with grace. And grace speaks to other people. Grace speaks to other people because most of us forget that God is nothing like anybody in this room, including the speaker. He's not a 
bigger, more powerful, more holy, more clean version of you and me. He is nothing like us. People say to me when I say this, we're made in his image. Yes, I know, we're made in his image. He doesn't exist with ours. That's a bit cleaner and brighter and holier and lovelier. No, he's completely different. He isn't limited by time or space. I can only be in one place at any given time. In an hour before I got here, we were in the wrong place at the right time. And then we got here, and now we're in the right place at the right time. God isn't in any way limited by time or space, and yet he can break in to time and space. And the Bible talks a lot about time and the importance of time. So God's way outside of time and space. And in one of uh, Paul's letters, he says, after the resurrection, Christ fills everything. Now, when we say everything, he again goes on to explain what everything is. And there's a whole list of things that he, 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 he uses to explain what it means to B, not living in time, and nor hindered by space. And he says, Christ is everywhere. And then he says, in galaxies and governments. Galaxies. Again, this was written 2,000 years ago. Galaxies. There are not only billions of stars and planets in the Milky Way. There are trillions of galaxies. Trillions. A A million is a thousand million. A billion is a thousand million. This is trillions. And we're probably the only planet on which there's life. And God made us in his image. It doesn't matter whether Adam and Eve were literal or not. Until 150 years ago, evangelicals believed that Genesis chapter 1 and even chapter 2 was the same language as Revelation. It's telling a story. There were people who were made in the image of God. What their names are is completely important, unimportant. And and, until German higher scholasticism came along, pushing evangelicals into a more literary view of the Bible, we believed it was probably a story illustrating the truth, like Revelation is a story illustrating the truth. There isn't anyone in the whole of England who believes there's literally a man with a grey head and a sword sticking out his mouth, sitting on a throne, flying around the universe. There's anyone who believes that. Doesn't mean it isn't true. It means that there there is someone over the universe and he's royal and he's on a throne and he has wisdom and he's got truth the sword of truth and he lives by these things this is what he's like it's just an illustration and it frees us up from having to defend the bible in ways that aren't necessary paul's having to defend to the jews the message of grace no ceremonial law i mean that was incredible that was dealt with in the first generation of apostles They said, how much, now because there are more non-Jews, that's Gentiles, there are more non-Jews coming to Christ than Jews. So how much of Judaism, ceremonial law, health law, moral law, do we impose upon the Gentiles? And they had this colossal, well-known apostles gathering. And Paul stood up and said, all we're asking is that you don't commit adultery and you don't eat meat offered to idols. That will be offensive to the Jews. In other words, other than that, there is no ceremonial law for the Gentiles. There are no health laws other than obvious ones in, in the 20th, 21st century. And, and abstain from immorality, which is all over scripture anyway. So all he was emphasizing was, if this gets into the church, this is the end of the church, unless it's dealt with. And that just the two, and, and don't offend the Jews. 
It's unnecessary. Don't eat meat offered to idols. And this was the message that he was persecuted for. And I told you the story of Samuel, but there is another story of Nathan. And um, he lives, live, lived in Bolton. And um, one day, I've got 5,000 Facebook friends, most of whom I don't know, and uh, one sent a general message with a photo of him and his three friends. If you run your mouse over someone's face, you normally get a box, which means you can't get any information about them at all. It's a, a security thing. And I ran my mouse over this face, and it was Nathan Ferreira, Bolton, England. So I found him very quickly. He's in a church called Delight Church. And uh, I wrote to him words of encouragement. Paul said that prophecy is to encourage, exhort, and comfort. So if your prophecies aren't encouraging, exhorting, and comfort, they're probably not prophecies. And sometimes you just write words of encouragement and um, life's change. The man with the uh, check shirt on, what's your name, sir? Linus. Linus. What does that mean, Linus? Your name, what does it mean? With leaden workers. Linen workers. workers. Right. How old are you? 14. Man alive. (laughs) Thought you were 17. Well, before you leave today, you'll be encouraged if you haven't been already. You're amazing. You're going to have influence you can't even dream of. I don't know what you're going to do. You've not finished your education yet, I imagine. <laughs> you might want to, but it's a bit young to do so. It's also against the law. You're going to be amazing. You're amazing now. You sometimes feel on your own. You're not on your own. All of heaven is with you. This church is with you. You've got other people with you. And you, you, you will disciple people as I've discipled people. And quite a while back, an Australian lady came over to give me a prophecy. don't know who she was. And it was, you know, you've mentored all these people that are now working in the royal family and number 10 and this, that and the other and so on, Evangelical Alliance. Don't think it's over. Young people are going to walk into your life again, Timothy's, and this is the priority of of your last years of your life. It's more important to me, Linus, than speaking at meetings, including this one and the conference I'm speaking at. Just to know that, you know, in the end, In the age to come, I'm going to meet all these people who have ended up between them with far, far, far more influence than I've ever had. That's that's the issue. And that's you. And when you get home, if not before, you need to write it down. Make sure you don't forget it. So I wrote to Nathan, and uh, I sent him some words of encouragement. And in it, there was something I've never sent to anybody before or since. And it was, you're planning an exit in your life. What you're planning is not of God. These words are of God. And a known as heard me say many times, I sat at my desk and looked and thought, these words are encouraging. I can't imagine what it would do other than just encourage people. Eventually we were on the phone. Then he came down to see us. Couldn't penetrate this unbelievable politeness. And then he came to the Pioneer Leaders Conference and I offered him a role which he accepted um, in our new church and assistant to me. And then I said to him, is there anything that 
could be discovered about you that would embarrass me if it was made public. And you know, what, what's Gerald hiring guys like this for? And we, we, were in, we were in a public place. We were in a sort of a pub belonging to a conference center. It was mid-afternoon. We were drinking mineral water and orange juice and stuff. And when I asked him that question, he put his hands to his face and he broke down publicly in front of others. And I'm going, whoa, what's he done? Committed murder? I mean, what is, what's going on here? This is true. And eventually he said that he'd been a porn addict for years, good-looking guy, lovely smile, brilliant sense of humour, worked with me for, for years, and um, I said, I can help you. And uh, a few weeks later, he started. He said, before I start, you just need to know, my whole life has been hell with pornography, masturbation, Again, many times on a Saturday, home alone, mum, dad, two sisters out. And uh, the week your letter arrived, I had, these are his words, constructed a suicide note to my parents. If I can't live for Jesus, I don't want to live at all. And you saved me from committing suicide. And I'm deeply grateful to you. And he worked with us for quite a while and, and um, he's now married. So there's grace here for us all. There's grace here for us all. Grace for the past, grace for the present, grace for the future. And there are times when a message is hopefully blessing all. And you would have heard this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday by different people, from Andy to Jared. Let me just tell you about Jared before I, I, we pray. The first I was aware of Jared Cooper was when he sent me a tape. That's how long ago it was, about 25, 30 years ago. And I sort of knew him. I was sort of aware of his name, but he hadn't got the profile he's got now. And uh, he sent me this. And I, I would play it and then spin it back and play it and spin it back and play it. And, and, uh, and the first time, I just let it run. And I can't think whether it's the first song or the last song was Majesty. I thought, oh, my word. This is a song. There are three Majesties that have been written. Three songs called Majesty. And uh, I played this and played this. And then I, I told the Pioneer Network, you need to get hold of this. And then I got it played on Christian radio. And then I got a newsletter saying, there's this guy down south, Gerald Coates, and he's promoting my tape. We've never met, so, which is sort of true, but it wasn't true. And, um, and then one day, I drove out of Isha, where we used to live, and we got to a, a rather strange roundabout called the Silly Isles. And uh, I left the tape on. And when it, when it stopped and there was silence, I thought, oh, well, I'll go, I'll go back to the beginning. You don't have to do that now, of course. And... Um, Suddenly, this song was being sung in Spanish. I don't know whether you've heard worship in the Spanish. It is unbelievable. So I pulled the car over and I phoned him. I said, Gerald, it's Gerald Coates. He said, oh, hello, Gerald. And I told him what I've just told you. I said, I'm in Mexico with 13,000 teenagers and gave him the date. Would you come with me? We will pay for it. And he, he will tell you if you ask him, to tell you the whole story. 
Um, in the, I think it was 11,000, but when we got there, it was 13,000. And it was like the Toronto blessing of the mid-90s multiplied by 100. And, you know, I, I would speak, and all, all that we did was I spoke three or four times at least, and then he would simply play this song. That's all he did. And folk would flock forward one night, we had a massive auditorium. If you've been to the Albert Hall, that seats five and a half thousand. So imagine what 13,000 looks like. One night we had a stage with about seven layers and there were bodies over every layer. You couldn't move. Every aisle to the back was full of bodies. People were overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit through this song, not through my talk, through this song. And on the way home, on the way on the plane, um, he said to me, uh, it, these are my words, um, you know, it's the grace of God that caused us to meet. And I said, well, you sent me the tape. No, we met before that. I said, oh, really? Where did we meet before that? People often say, hello, you won't remember me. And the answer is, no, I don't. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen thousands of people in the last few years. And um, young people are much better. They say, oh, hi, I'm Linus. You know, hi, I'm Kevin. And uh, older folks say, you don't know me, do you? And I want to smack them, I tell you. <laughs> so what happened is you were speaking at a Don Double event. And you picked me out and prophesied about my future. And you walked over to me. And as you walked over to me, I fell under my chair and all the chairs collapsed on top of me. <laughs> and I was totally unconscious. I said, oh, so that was Jared Cooper. He was just a guy, I never didn't know who he was. I never asked him his name, he was unconscious went back and he stayed there for the whole of my talk. So I hope the message of grace, and God isn't disillusioned with you, he never had any illusions in the first place, is helpful for us all. 